Welcome to the Later in Life Planning Show with Patrick Colley, brought to you by Keystone Elder Law, right here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, here's your host, Patrick Colley. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. If you've listened to the show before, you've heard our mission statement at Keystone Elder Law, which is to shield the middle class from the costs and challenges of getting older. And there are so many ways to build that shield. And a lot of it is just information about the way the world works. But if you've heard the show before, you've heard me say that one out of every three people over the age of 65 will have dementia. And that doesn't even get to the nearly two-thirds of people who will need some form of long-term care because of Parkinson's, a bad accident, a a surgery that limits their mobility. There's all kinds of reasons why long-term care is so, so important, even when we're meeting with uh, maybe a couple. Everybody's healthy. Uh, we're, We're doing estate planning for the years ahead. You have to think about this being in the in the years ahead because it is a predictable expense that weighs heavily on the middle class. And sometimes we're seeing people when it's time to go into some form of long-term care. And we have a nurse on staff at Keystone Elder Law. We're talking through their abilities, what they need, where where the support would be best. And we're helping them find the right place. And if it happens to be the highest level of care, we do guide people through Medicaid planning. But here's the deal. Nursing homes are providing heroic work and support to our older Pennsylvanians, and the facility actually gets paid less money if Medicaid is making the payment than if the patient and the family are paying privately at about $13,000 or $14,000 a month. And elder law attorneys represent these individual patients and look out for their interests. But let me hasten to add, we are not adversarial with the nursing homes. We need the nursing homes. We need the assisted living facilities and personal care communities to remain open. But that industry struggles. You know, a significant reason for the struggle is our state legislature setting the rules the way they do. Um, And joining me to talk about this and the plight of long-term care providers who are so necessary to our future in Pennsylvania is Zach Schamberg. Zach is the president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association. Zach Thank you for being here to give a perspective of those providing care and some of the challenges that the industry is going through. Patrick, thanks so much for having me. Thank you for uh, allowing us to have this microphone, this bullhorn to talk about long-term care issues in Pennsylvania. And I think the way you laid that out and the way you talked about this issue of getting ready to plan for later in life, being prepared... It's a topic that we talk a lot about at the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association. It's a topic that I've spoken about within my own family. So I've seen it from both sides of the spectrum, and I'm really looking forward to today's discussion. Yeah, and I know that a lot of the uh, members of your organization who meet the families who come into the nursing home are seeing a lot of the same poor planning, lack of planning, uh, common middle-class mistakes that we see. And so having a show like this, having, uh, you know, webinars I do for free once a week, uh, all, all kinds of teaching opportunities. And I know you do the same. You're talking to a lot of people about these issues. It's letting people know, look, you don't even see this coming because you're not aware of the foreign language that is long-term care and how you pay for it. But, um, but there are ways to plan in advance. And 
I would add uh, that if if this only sparks planning among listeners and their families, that's great. But I think this is also we're in an election year. People need to be educated about what policymakers are doing and and are are they really backing up the words you often hear out of their mouths? Like I, I, we look out for older Pennsylvanians. Do you? Well, (laughs) and that's that's such a great point, and especially in a state like Pennsylvania, where we have a rapidly aging population, our fastest growing demographic is age 85 and older. We're focused so much of the time on schools and on education, K through 12 education and higher education. And that's fine. That's well and good. But we need to be focused on our senior population. And that's why long-term care is so important and really ensuring that this is a sustainable model moving forward. That's our biggest concern right now, not just in Harrisburg, but in Washington, D.C. Sure. And I've heard you say uh, on this topic of the demographics that the population in Pennsylvania of adults years uh, age 80 or older is expected to nearly double in the 20 years between 2020 and 2040. That's pretty staggering. That's very staggering. And we are now approaching what many experts have called the silver tsunami, where the baby boomers are going to age into the demographic most in need of long-term care. What's troubling to me is that throughout the last four years, we've seen more than 20 nursing homes close. We've seen assisted living communities close. We've seen personal care homes close. We've seen other homes and other facilities go up for sale or change ownership very rapidly. Again, we're looking to today and we're looking to tomorrow, but we have to be focused on the next 5 to 10 to 20 years. And given our aging population right now, can we guarantee that we can keep our promise to older Pennsylvanians and give them the care that they need and they deserve? I'm not so sure. And as a little bit of background, uh, in case you haven't heard this show before, where I, I, I've talked about this a few times, where, you know, we have generally three levels of care. You're, you're staying at home and you have maybe friends, family, professional caregivers coming into your home. There might be some Medicaid available there, but uh, it's mostly private pay, maybe long-term care insurance. If you move up a level of care, assisted living facilities, personal care communities, that's the middle level of care, and I, I don't know, five to $8,000 a month is how much it costs. Medicaid in Pennsylvania does not pay at that level as it does in some other states. And then the highest level is the nursing home, a skilled nursing facility, and there your options are get out your checkbook and write a check for thirteen dollars or $14,000 a month. Unless you have insurance, unless you're a veteran, you might get some help, but really it's either private pay or Medicaid. And so when we talk about, you know, the elder law attorney represents the individual and it is their legal right, especially with a healthy spouse at home to move assets around, make one spouse broke and the other spouse has money to live on. Um, but the the Medicaid rate, and I think, Zach, you probably have some experience discussing with policymakers the frustration that they set it and then they just forget about it for a number of years. Well, we went eight years in Pennsylvania, if you can believe it, without a change or an increase to the Medicaid reimbursement rate. So as costs went up prior to the COVID-19 pandemic by on average about two to four percent each year, that wasn't met with a commensurate Medicaid reimbursement increase. Fast forward to 2020 and 2021, when the COVID-19 pandemic impacts long-term care providers the most. You'll recall they were on the front lines. Now, there were one-time stimulus funds from the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan that went directly to long-term care providers, and they were a lifesaver. But it wasn't until 2022 that Pennsylvania legislators and then Governor Tom Wolf really stepped up 
and made long-term care a priority with a 17.5% Medicaid reimbursement increase. I think it's important to note that that didn't ensure that providers could be successful for the next five to 10 years. It meant that the industry would be stabilized. We've got a lot of work to do because to your point, more and more residents are coming to nursing homes on day one, relying on the Medicaid program. Gone are the days of private pay, of Medicare, of long-term care insurance. It's all about Medicaid and Medicaid needs to sustain or help sustain the mission that we carry out each day. Right. And and that's so for listeners, there's always getting over the hump of the misunderstanding that they say, I hit 65, I signed up for Medicare, Part A, Part B. Why is this guy talking about long-term care costs? Because Medicare won't help you a whole lot when it comes to these long-term, uh, you're in a facility-based uh, care, getting the care you need 24-7. Medicare will will pay for the doctor visit, the surgery, the acute care, but not this long-term care. So that really does leave, as Zach was just saying, you either get out your checkbook, but all these people showing up on day one, Medicaid eligible, that means they have very little income, they have very little in the way of assets, and they can't they can't get out a checkbook and and pay that that cost. So it goes to Medicaid, but the the rate and even when you say recently with the Wolf administration, they they increased the rate by a good a good bit. Um, but that's not tied to inflation or anything. So as as a facility has higher payroll costs, especially if they want to recruit and retain good talent, it has they have higher utility costs. You know, business costs don't stay static; they go up all, all the time, especially in healthcare and especially in long term care. Again, given our rapidly aging population, if the average reimbursement rate per resident per day in Pennsylvania is about two hundred and thirty five dollars. The true cost of care is closer to two hundred and sixty dollars. So think about that shortfall in Medicaid reimbursement and what it means for providers who have to care for our aging population and have to keep their doors open. The question is, where do they cut? Is it artificially closing their doors to new residents? Is it not being able to hire staff or provide therapy or provide activities and training and other parts of this sector that are so important, not only to our residents, but to our caregivers as well? That's really the conundrum that we find ourselves in. Yes, the conundrum that that right now for every person who exercises their legal right to go on Medicaid, whether it's because they have no money or they do lawful planning, Well, now the nursing home is losing money on every one of those uh, patients every single day. They're now under pressure to either reduce their census so they're not caring for as many people. That's not good for the long-term business health of that facility or make changes that affect the quality of life and care of the residents, which is uh, an equally horrifying outcome if that's what we're we're really setting up. I'm going to be speaking more with Zach, Zach Schamberg after the break. You are listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Now, more of the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. I am speaking today with Zach Schamberg, the president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association, which advocates for some of the most vulnerable people in Pennsylvania as well as the people who provide care to them. Zach, before the break, we're talking about uh, the demographics of Pennsylvania. We're we're getting older as a group. You wonder 
whether they're the next generation will fill in as far as caregiving roles, but at the very least, we need to have the infrastructure to provide care to people who need it and give them the dignity and quality of life that they deserve. And we have pressure. So Medicaid is not the reimbursement rate. How much the nursing homes get paid by the state uh, has is not often adjusted. And you know, given pressures with losing staffs, uh, staff at the nursing homes during COVID, maybe even beyond COVID, the, uh, the the need to recruit and retain talent, you know, they have to sort of look to cut elsewhere. And there's some other pressures we haven't even spoken about yet. But this this will sound to some listeners like, oh, here's this guy asking for money for his industry. You know, and, and may, you already mentioned education. That's something you hear about all the time. Throw more money at, at schools and they'll get better. What's your response to that? Uh, it's really interesting. And when we talk about schools, you know, this is, and K through 12 education is a constituency that year after year after year is prioritized in the state budget. But what you'll hear legislators talk about today is that there are no results to show for all that funding. And there really is, in many ways, no accountability. And that's not just for schools, and it's not just through K, for K-12 through education, but it's for many of the constituencies that year after year go to the Capitol and ask for more and more funding. Yeah, and, and you and I have both worked in the Capitol building, and I think it's common knowledge that many of them there, not from Philadelphia, think that Philadelphia itself, for all kinds of governmental reasons, is a black hole we throw our money into. I understand that the people from Philadelphia see it differently, but in any event, you know what's the answer to that? I mean, to to show metrics, I suppose, for I can tie the money you give to certain outcomes. That's exactly right, and and we've been told loud and clear by the legislature, and you can hear it in the budget hearings and the appropriations hearings that are happening on the Hill right now that. There needs to be something to show for that funding. And the days of blank checks or COLA's cost of living adjustments are over for many groups and many constituencies across the state. So we have been very proud at the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association to lead the charge and to really put our money where our mouth is and say, if long-term care providers, if nursing home providers step up and provide good resident outcomes and can show real results then they should be reimbursed for it. They should be rewarded for it. And at the end of the day, that's where EQIP comes from or enhancing care with incentivized payments because we love our acronyms in healthcare. (laughs) So we had to introduce one more. But this really takes the lead from 24 other states across the country that have already made strides and taken steps to do this to implement a quality incentive program or a quality incentive payment for nursing homes that, again, will reward good outcomes. It's not a blank check for everyone. It's not an across-the-board increase. It's a clear message to say, show us what you can do, provide good results, and we will reward you for it. Which seems to set up the a, a really uh, perfect system for not only the nursing homes, which will stay in business. I mean, you use the word stabilized. Well, they can make predictive decisions about hiring and and the cost of food and so forth because they know that they're hitting certain benchmarks to receive money for that. It's good for the nursing home residents because those marks aren't going to be hit if they're being neglected, if they're they're having bed sores, they're you know all of the related uh, signs of of perhaps not getting the attention that they deserve. And and honestly, I would say it's good for all of us as a community because. 
I think it, it does something to shore up confidence in nursing homes. And, and every once in a while, I'll hear the person who has their uh, their sort of picture, their mental picture of a nursing home is stuck in maybe a couple generations ago where it was like it, you leave your house and it's just there's one place that's maybe owned by the county and that's it. And there really is a remarkable variety of options these days. And so I kind of have to reorient people to that. But but it's good for everybody if they have confidence that, look, here's the data to show how well these nursing homes are doing. You're exactly right. And and to your point, it's a win-win-win. It's a win for the residents. It's a win for the workers. It's a win for the providers. And it's a win for the family members at the end of the day. And, and I can speak personally as someone who, over the last four years, have had three grandparents in some form or setting in the long-term care continuum. And- to know that providers could be striving to reach real results and to reach real quality metrics. I can tell you as a grandson to have my grandparents there and know that providers are working towards those results, that would certainly allow me to have a better feeling and to sleep better knowing that that would be the end goal. That would be the end result. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, you and I have probably both spent a considerable amount of time speaking to professional caregivers in one setting or another. And these, by and large, are people who know it's not the most lucrative way to make a living, but it's what gets them out of bed in the morning. They they are making a direct impact on people's lives. But we, we shouldn't be putting them, because you said good for the worker, yes, we shouldn't be putting them in a position where... They should say, well, the Amazon warehouse that just opened or the sheets that just opened will pay me $2 more an hour and then I can pay for you know kids, kids' toys and school supplies and stuff. So we shouldn't put them in that position. I mean, they are doing work for children who are across the country and wish they could be there for their parents. I mean, that's worth something. Yeah, that's exactly right. We call it careers of compassion, and it really does take a special person to work at a resident bedside, to work as a frontline caregiver, especially throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. And now as providers are attempting to emerge from the pandemic, I would say this though, again, to take it back to that Medicaid reimbursement rate, providers can invest in their staff and they can pay a decent living wage as long as the Medicaid reimbursement keeps pace. If it doesn't, and that reimbursement rate lags behind, what's a provider to do? What's a nursing home provider to do when they want to invest in those frontline caregivers? They're not going to be able to do it. And too often we lose good, dedicated employees because the reimbursement rates haven't kept pace. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, having to cut census, that was happening for, for quite a while. And then we have family members who have to work. They have their own families. And they're trying to do the work of three shifts of professionals in a home for their parent, usually, uh, that's not a sustainable future no, for us. And not. so, if nursing homes are, are closing, that you know, because we, we're forcing them to make cuts until there's no more cuts to be made, and they just have to turn over ownership or completely close down, that's that would be disastrous. That's exactly right. And and what we've seen in Pennsylvania, unfortunately, even though there are still 674 nursing homes across the state and 1,200 personal care homes and assisted living communities we very much have an access to care crisis across the Commonwealth. We are not necessarily seeing homes and facilities close, but they are closing their doors to new residents. That's a real issue. Right. And and you said that there are 24 other states who have done this uh, incentivized reimbursement. 
has have any of those been around long enough to like to show success stories? It's a great question because we're talking to those states and we have counterparts in each of those states and and that's the number one question. Give us your data, give us your results, and I can tell you that there are states and this is a, a fairly new program. It's still in its infancy, but there are states like Virginia and Ohio that are moving dramatically up the rankings in terms of quality metrics and to see their results in just six months to 12 months is truly incredible. I would also mention that in states like Virginia and Ohio, those governors and those legislatures have made a true investment in these quality incentive programs because they see the benefit and they recognize the potential results. We have to do the same thing in Pennsylvania if we want to see similar results to those states. Agreed. And you would think that those are, uh, from my research, very active voters. So uh, it might be yet another reason for this to be uh, more than just an occasional uh, headline. Hey, we did something today for older Pennsylvanians. No, this this is you know support that will come back, and I think, in their best interests over time. So I want to talk about some of the advocacy that uh, PHCA is doing, and part of it goes to this idea that, you know, I mentioned three levels of care. You're at home, you're in assisted living or a personal care community, you're in a nursing home. Those are generally the three levels. And I mentioned that Pennsylvania, uh, unlike some other states, does not provide Medicaid funding at that middle level. So you have somebody... And I'll just sort of set what's on my mind. We'll take a break and we'll come back and I want to hear your thoughts on this. But you have somebody at home who has uh, advancing dementia. They have very little money, uh, maybe enough to have friends and family pay or, or come into the home to provide care for a while. But after that, they have to put their thumb on the side of the scale of going all the way up to skilled care, even if physically they're doing fine, they're cognitively not doing well. And so there is a whole middle level assisted living and personal care, they do amazing memory care, but that's not covered by Medicaid. So we have to clog up the nursing homes with somebody who might be, get by at, at the middle level because they don't have the private pay funds. So that's been on my mind for quite a long time. Uh, there is a bill out there, and I'll have you talk about that after a break. More with Zach Schamberg from the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association right here on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. Welcome back to the Later in Life Planning Show on News Radio WHP 580. Here's Patrick Colley. I am speaking today with Zach Schamberg, the president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association, and we've been talking about aging demographics, the likelihood of needing some form of long-term care, and the great pressures that the long-term care uh, industry, the caregiving industry, is under. And in particular, right before the break, I was setting the stage for the next uh, item of conversation by saying, you know, Medicaid does not pay at a level of care where many, many, many people could benefit from having that help, but instead they have to choose between finding it uh, somehow a way to make it work for care in the home or or go to a nursing home and have Medicaid pay for it. But there's a bill to address this. Talk about that a little bit. There is a bill. And, and you know, rather than just try to work within the constraints or the confines of the system, the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association, once again, is leading the charge to change things and to change things for the better. And not just for assisted living communities and personal care homes, but really for the residents and for the residents' families. So you hit the nail on the head, Patrick. We are one of just a handful of states across the entire country 
that does not allow a Medicaid waiver in assisted living, meaning that when we talk about the baby boomers aging into the demographic most in need of long-term care, that includes personal care and it includes assisted living. What we are finding overwhelmingly is that most of the baby boomer generation does not have savings. They did not save. And when they are going to require care, whether it's memory care or dementia or whether it's just needing help to perform ADLs or activities of daily living, and nursing home setting may not be the right care setting for them. So assisted living would make sense. Personal care would make sense. But without personal funds, that's not an option. And more and more what we're seeing is current residents in assisted living communities depleting their funds, running out of savings, and being told, we can't care for you anymore. So it's time to go home or it's time to go into a nursing home, which again may not be the right setting for them. There is a bill in the state Senate that we are very proud to support. It would create a Medicaid waiver for assisted living for the first time. Now, that bill has a big fiscal note attached, so it's going to be tough to move through the legislative process, especially during state budget time. But what we're seeing now, because we're a managed care state in Pennsylvania, is that many of the managed care organizations are starting to move towards that Medicaid waiver and assisted living model. I think the tide is turning, and I think it's only a matter of time before we get there, and we need to be there again, given our aging population in Pennsylvania. And and that word, uh, those words, fiscal note, if you if you work in the Capitol building, can cause uh, unprecedented anxiety because that's really what makes or breaks a bill. Sometimes you can have the best idea, but it's not going to get to the governor's desk for his signature if it's going to cost more than the legislator legislators want to pay. Uh, and so far, the prime sponsor of that bill, Senator Michelle Brooks, uh, mustered enough support to get it voted out of her committee. And that's good, but it's now with the with the numbers, the number crunchers, the budget hawks uh, in the appropriations committee. So, again, it's just messaging on you know it could the fiscal note could be twice what it is, but you know that's let's not look at it through only that lens. This this is you you are immediately benefiting the lives of Pennsylvanians. That's exactly right, and I would also argue, and Senator Brooks, Chairwoman Brooks, has been a fantastic advocate and fantastic sponsor for this legislation. There's a $100 million fiscal note because for years, the state of Pennsylvania has believed that bringing Medicaid into assisted living would create essentially a woodwork effect, that everyone would come out of their homes and say, Medicaid will pay for assisted living. I'm going to assisted living. More and more, as we talk to other states across the country that already have a Medicaid waiver for assisted living, believe it or not, those states don't see a high fiscal note. They see savings. Because rather than going to a nursing home or rather than staying at home and receiving expensive care, that care can be done much cheaper and it's the right care setting in an assisted living community. Again, we think it's a win-win and we're committed to getting it done. Yeah, the uh, I was just at a, a conference of the Pennsylvania Association of Elder Law Attorneys. I know you're jealous. That just has a rocking good time all over it. I can't it. believe I didn't get that invitation. Well, next time. But we this, of course, came up in conversation, and Pela, as we're called, uh, fully supports this this bill, and and the woodwork effect came up. I mean, that's 
whenever you hear that, that's the pushback to your legislation. It's sort of like, well, show me the numbers. Let's right. not just go on this this fear that that floodgates could open when it hasn't happened in other places. Talk to me about House Bill 1853. House Bill 1853 is really a, a first of its kind initiative in Pennsylvania, and it's there for one reason. It's been introduced in the state house for one reason to foster conversation and to foster collaboration between long-term care providers, specifically nursing home providers on the front lines and their regulators, their surveys within the department of health. Too often as we talk to our members in every corner of the state, no matter where they're located, there is confusion and there are questions over the state survey process over the federal survey process, over why complaint visits are conducted, why citations are given, so on and so forth. And what we want is to foster that communication. What we want is to open the lines of communication and collaboration and make this a partnership, not some sort of punitive uh, combat between surveyors and folks on the front lines. House Bill 1853 would ensure that long-term care providers at least once annually could meet with Department of Health surveyors. They could talk about citation trends. They could talk about survey trends. And at the end of the day, we believe it would lead to better patient care. And again, isn't that the goal that we should all be striving towards? Absolutely. And it's it's sort of like, uh, you know, pass the test, but I'm not going to uh, teach you, you know, the basics of what I'm looking for. I mean, well, no, we, if we want to do better and, ha- and be measurably better by your surveys, uh, sh- you know, tell us how we can do that. So there's, there's more legislation that you're looking at that people might not think about. But with this problem that we've discussed already about... Uh, you don't have enough people working to keep all of the beds available for patients, so you have to turn patients away. And and recruitment and retention has been a problem for a lot of uh, uh, industries and businesses. But what what's being done to foster the idea among young people that this is a you know career in long term care? That's it's about as solid as it gets. That the, the need is not going to go away. The need's not going to go away. And in fact, it's only going to grow in a state like Pennsylvania. So when we look at long-term care and when we're talking to younger Pennsylvanians, we're saying this is not just a career for the next five to 10 years. This is a career for the next 20 to 30 years with a real career ladder. And we've been proud to work with Senator Dave Argyle from Schuylkill County, the, uh, the chair of the Senate Edu- Education Committee. He's introducing a package of bills that will really foster workforce development in Pennsylvania and specifically in Pennsylvania's long-term care continuum. One bill would allow high school juniors and seniors to obtain college uh, credit or towards their graduation just for working in a long-term care facility or a community. Uh, Another bill would require the Department of Human Services to offer a skills competency examination for those without a high school diploma or a GED who want to go into assisted living or personal care. And then the third piece of legislation would modernize our CNA training and create an across the board or an across the state curriculum that anybody could follow so that providers who want to open their own schools or their own classes don't have to wait weeks or months just to get their training approved. These are all incremental steps towards, again, building a robust workforce pipeline so that we can care for our aging population, not just today or tomorrow, but for the next decade. You know, before we went on the air, we were speaking about 
um, other groups that go out and and work with high school students thinking about a career in the healthcare professions. And the feedback from, you know, these 16, 17-year-olds is the same year after year. Blame Grey's Anatomy or ER, but they all want to be like, uh, you know, baby doctors and and neurosurgeons. And they're not even aware of how many careers there are in healthcare and how much uh, in demand they will be in this particular setting. So, you know, you just have to overcome all of pop culture to to do workforce development. And my wife is a huge Grey's Anatomy fan, so she says that is off limits. I'm not allowed to... We're to, not criticizing I'm, Grey's Anatomy. Right. Of course I, not. <laughs> I'm not allowed to blame Meredith Grey. I think that's her name. But what we're trying to do, again, is get the word out to high school, not just high school students, but middle school students. The providers are starting earlier and earlier talking about these careers of compassion and saying that this will not only be a career that that could uh, last your entire life, but there's a real ladder there. There's another bill that we have that's already moved through the Senate. We hope to get it through the House and to Governor Shapiro's desk that would create a new position in nursing homes and in long-term care facilities across the state, a certified medication aid. This would be between a CNA, a certified nurse aide, and an LPN, licensed practical nurse. Again, Pennsylvania is one of a handful of states that doesn't have a CMA position. But we believe it could create that real career ladder. It could lead to higher wages, and it could lead to a long career in long-term care. And shouldn't that be the goal? And better outcomes for, for people who need those meds and other care. I'm speaking today with... Zach Schamberg, who is president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association. We will have more with Zach after a break. You're listening to the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law on News Radio WHP 580. It's the Later in Life Planning Show here on News Radio WHP 580. Now, your host, Patrick Colley. We are back on the Later in Life Planning Show, sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. And my guest today is Zach Schamberg from the Pennsylvania Healthcare Association, which advocates for Pennsylvania's uh, most vulnerable residents as long as as well as those who provide care to them. Uh, Zach, uh, we've we've spoken about the rising need for long-term care. We've talked about the expense, how it's paid for. We're talking about, uh, you know, if there are more people who need care... Do we need more people to provide care? And these are all the pressures where if you're trying to run a, a nursing home that will be around to care for the people who need that care, uh, you have you have all these pressures and you have to cut somewhere. And then not quite, I don't want to call it a nail in the coffin, but but the, 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 the final obstacle we have to talk about are governmental mandates that you have certain people in positions seeing patients for so many hours or half-hour periods every single day. So talk to me about workforce mandates. Yeah, it's not it's not exactly the, the last nail in the coffin, but it is a, an undue pressure, uh, and it's another obstacle for long-term care providers. That's a much more diplomatic way to put it. <laughs> well, and I say that because we are actively fighting against it. Many of these harmful mandates for nursing home providers specifically, and I would expect and we would expect that we'll see the same for assisted living communities and personal care homes in the next few years, whether it's from Washington, D.C. or here in Harrisburg. A few years ago, in July 2021, the Wolf administration proposed a 4.1 PPD staffing mandate for nursing homes across the state. This would have required hundreds of millions in funding that wasn't given 
to nursing home providers. It wasn't given to long-term care facilities, and it would have required thousands of workers that at that time did not exist. The Pennsylvania Healthcare Association was very proud to fight against that mandate, but more importantly, to work with external stakeholders, including the workers' unions, SEIU Healthcare PA, a group that providers hadn't necessarily worked with in the past. And we stood side by side and instead asked the governor and asked members of the legislature to instead implement a more manageable staffing minimum and with it commensurate funding and with it accountability provisions for long-term care providers. And we were very proud to do that and to see it implemented in summer of 2022 and then for the first time in July last year. At the same time that was happening, we're now seeing pressure from the Biden administration. And there is a new proposal from the federal government to increase staffing minimums across the country for nursing homes. Here in Pennsylvania, that would result in an approximate 3.8 PPD. It would require more workers that don't exist. It would require more funding that we don't have. And again, it just seems like every six months or so, there's a new proposal to raise staffing minimums without taking into consideration the toll that it could take on providers, workers, and most importantly, as you've noted, residents. Sure. So it's, I, I think, um, you know, it. You're saying this is an unfunded mandate. It's. It, let's let's start by recognizing. You know, we'll give people the benefit of the doubt that this came from a good place. Nobody wants uh, someone in a nursing home to go long periods of time with nobody looking at them, nobody interacting with them. Of course, that's the gold standard of care is regular consistent uh, attention to the patient. But when we get down to we're just going to achieve this noble goal by putting a requirement on you with no funding, no even hope of finding the workers without thinking a little more elaborately and creatively. I mean, it makes sense that you push back on that. Um, you know, and, and I noted uh, Pennsylvania Senator Bob Casey, U.S. Senator gave his full support for this. He thinks it will lead to higher quality of care. Okay. Uh, more contact with staff. I, I, that's the whole idea. But he says, you know, he urges the the federal government to provide for strong enforcement of this while ensuring state agencies and their staffs are adequately resourced to to do this important work. And it, it, it was that, that's sort of uh, a paraphrasing of his quote. But, you know, what about the resources to recruit, train, retain nurses, therapists, nurses, aides, Where is that coming from? It's a great question. It's not there. There is very little federal funding proposed for workforce development, and providers are supposed to meet this on their own. The average operating margin for a nursing home provider in Pennsylvania currently is about negative 11%. So if you ask that same provider to hire more and more staff and to care for more and more residents with less and less resources, What's going to happen? We've talked about that access to care crisis that exists today. It will only be amplified and and exacerbated with a new federal mandate. I would point out again that the work we did in 2021 and 2022, we localized the issue. We talked to stakeholders across the state. We brought providers and legislators and regulators to the table. And ultimately, we decided on what was best for Pennsylvania. 
for federal bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. to decide what's best for Pennsylvania or Louisiana or Texas or California, to me, doesn't make any sense. Let's do this work state by state. We were proud to do it in Pennsylvania, and I'm sure other states would be proud to do it as well. And it makes even more sense when you figure that Medicaid, although it's a joint federal-state program, is administered by every state a little differently. So if even that is different in Pennsylvania, then you have to come up with a whole different approach for Pennsylvania because if Medicaid's just handing out money in Maryland or New Jersey, I'm not saying they are, but but then, you know, obviously there's there should be different rules uh, depending on that. And I did look at the American Healthcare Association uh, and the National Center for Assisted Living. Uh, they hired an outside accounting firm to look at this Biden mandate, and they said it would cost nursing homes $6.8 billion a year which is higher than the federal government's estimate, significantly higher. And 94% of nursing homes would currently fail to comply. So (laughs) what kind of research on the details went into this? Because we have a lot of progress to be made, but it's going to require more than just a mandate with no money. Well, and and you made the point, let's not just strive to, to succeed to a goal or achieve this lofty goal that was contained in a study in the year 2001. Let's go state by state. Let's update the regs. Let's bring stakeholders to the table. Let's bring providers to the table and decide ultimately what's best for residents. That's what we did in Pennsylvania. That was our model. And I do think it could work across the country to provide better care, to get more folks to resident bedside, but to do it in a way that's feasible and most importantly, given our discussion, in a way that's funded. Yeah. You know, early in my career when I was uh, in the courtroom all the time as a young attorney, I often went in with the mindset that I only have to blow out of the water one argument the other side is making. And if I have it one, don't outstay your welcome. You know, in other words, you know, don't don't give an opportunity for this to go sideways. Well, you have, to your credit, said, look, I could just get up here and say unfunded mandate, basic math, this doesn't work. You'd have to be insane to put this in place. Uh, but you go a step further and you volunteer to be held accountable. In fact, don't pay us unless we show you we're doing a good job for these older Pennsylvanians. We're keeping workers employed. You know, that you didn't have to do that when you had such a, a, a you know, an easily defeated idea on the table. But but I think that's fabulous. The idea of equip, I believe you called it, uh, for incentivized payments. Yeah. And it really speaks to everything that we've talked about today. You know, we can sit back and let mandate after mandate come down to providers on the front lines, whether it's from state government or federal government, or we can work to fix the problem. And we can work to update the regulations, to update state statute, and make this a workable model. So whether it's those workforce development initiatives, whether it's bringing the Department of Health to the table with us, whether it is creating a new funding mechanism to hold providers more accountable, but also to ensure that they step up and provide the best care possible, at the end of the day, that's what we have to do now more than ever in long-term care and really across any constituency in Pennsylvania. Right. The way that we've done it in the past, a periodic update of Medicaid dollars, maybe just a, a tightening of, of some safety regulations, it's all been done piecemeal. There's no planning for what is, as you called it, the silver tsunami. 
And and we can't wait to be doing that planning any longer. And that's what's scary. We know what's coming. This is not something that we may predict five years down the road will be here. We know what our demographics look like, and we need to start getting ready today. Right. This is a clear problem that has to be solved. And Zach Schamberg from the uh, Pennsylvania Healthcare Association, thank you for joining me to share your thoughts on the matter. Thank you for having me. I hope you'll join me next week for another episode of the Later in Life Planning Show sponsored by Keystone Elder Law. In the meantime, if you'd like to take in some free education from the comfort of your own home about estate planning, asset protection, planning for long-term care in your future, go to keystoneelderlaw.com and use the workshops tab to get signed up for one of our next webinars. We so appreciate all of you listening to this show. We hope you'll tell others about it because we're trying to get all the pieces out there to build a shield against the challenges of the later years of life. We'll see you next time on the Later in Life Planning Show right here on News Radio WHP 580.